That's one way to put it, Steve Holman. It's Dukes and Bell at Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Steve joined us yesterday. When we left the arena last night, we were like, hey, we'll end the All-Star break on a high note. Yeah. What did we know? This was pathetic. Fried. Last night, the Hawks get blown out. I mean, listen, they were up, what, 24 before you could blink. Yeah, it was. I mean, they just came in. They stomped your guts out. And we played some of the sound. We'll play some more of the sound from uh, post-game reaction. Trey saying, yeah, you know, they're really wrestling in physical. Yeah, they are the Knicks. You know, they play physical. It's kind of their style. Maybe you and Nate, you know, they didn't show you any film or, you know, maybe discuss on the dry little race board there. The Knicks are going to try to do some of these things, like, you know, run you over in the paint and then kick it out to the open three, which then maybe you want to defend. Just a thought. You know, I'm just, bro, I'm, I'm up to here. I'm I'm almost, you know, at the point where you and I, you and I go to the different stages where I start screaming and I lose my voice. Now I'm just like, I'm, just, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to lose my mind over this because these guys have got to show some effort here. They got humiliated the night before. Now basically that's two humiliation games in a row between Charlotte and the Knicks here at home. Yeah, we're getting cheated. And they need to do something about it. And we're getting cheated because the investment has been over the last few years that we've all bought in. And we believe that this team was taking the next step forward. What we didn't know is that the general manager would be let go and that the direction of the team would change. And because of what's going on off the court has had an effect on the court. I asked the question earlier, and I will ask it again, Hawks fans. Who's holding these guys accountable? I'm just asking. Well, I mean, they don't listen or respect at this point what Nate is trying to get them to do. And that's why I differ with you about Nate. I say might as well just fire Nate now because, you know, I mean, Nate's going to get – he's going to retire or whatever they're going to do at the end of the season. He's kind of intimated that. At least it's been reported, whether you believe it or not. I just think you got to try to change the approach and salvage something out of this season unless, you know, some people feel the hell with it. Let's get as down as possible and then we'll get – I don't want to get in the lottery. I don't want to have somebody representing mm. this organization in Secaucus for the humiliation 30-minute TV show, which is yeah. the, you know, which is the rogues gallery of NBA teams. This was a team that was supposed to be on the way up. We've never built on the run to the uh, the Eastern Conference Championship, and now we're just we're stagnating. We're going we're going to basically be curling the same boat we were in last year, which is the play-in game. So we don't differ in the fact that if you're going to pull the cord or cut the cord, right. do it now. Okay. Where we differ is, I'm asking what changes if your star player doesn't buy in. That's a good nothing. Nothing. Okay. Will, to your point, nothing will change. Okay. So that's where we differ. We differ only in the sense that if you want to make a change at head coach, which we did already, mm. and this was supposed to be the one that catapulted us because everybody said two seasons ago, oh, Nate gets the star. That's what I heard from you guys. Okay? So we'll do it again. I'm fine. Let's do it again. But if the guy doesn't buy in, the star on this team, mm. and it trickles down to everybody else, then what changes? That is my question. And I don't know if anybody can answer that right now. Now, a lot of you will say, well, if you get the right guy. Well, who is that? Because I heard this guy was the right guy two seasons ago, and we went on an incredible run. So you guys tell me what the hell's going on. Yeah, and we were led to believe that, uh, you know, I've always played Lloyd Pierce as the bad guy. In the, in the whole scenario. Yeah. And, and that Lloyd was saying, saying things about Trey. No, and maybe, you know, Trey, I don't know, Trey just aggravated Lloyd to the point where Lloyd felt exasperated to say that, you know, Trey does jump into people's fouls in the three-point line. I don't know. It's, you're going to go through, again, you become the coach killer. You become that guy. 
Nate's got to, I mean, first off, Nate has got to do a better job in the half court, and we have no identity. Some of this is, look, guys, we're not giving Nate a pass, but at some point you just say, look, they're not too, they're tuning him out, and we got to change the approach. But Trey's got to take. personally. Yes, you. <laughs> yes, you. You've got to take the lead. You've got to be the leader. You're the guy. You and DeJounte do it together, you know? Be the guy. You know, so I wonder. I want when Trey. Well, yeah, you know, is it? Are we ever going to hear Trey say this is unacceptable? Can I hear Trey say, guys, we got to? I'm embarrassed for the fans. Say that. Give me something. Give me something to hang my hat on, Trey. That you're just more than a guy padding his stats who's never going to win a championship. You're already fired. We're getting cheated. You know, we had no energy, no effort. More on the Hawks coming up. It's Dukes and Bell. Chipper Jones on the way as well in ten minutes. Right now, let's talk some dogs. <laughs> Bell on the sidelines with the dogs. The dog report is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, a proud partner of the Georgia Bulldogs. Mike asked the question yesterday to Seth Emerson, who covers the dogs for the athletic. Is this now going to become the coaching car wash where guys who need to be rehabilitated get to become a coach at Georgia and then they move on and maybe get head coaching jobs? We've seen it time and time again with Alabama. This is how Seth Emerson answered that in regards to guys that have come and gone and now a guy like Mike Bobo who's back as the OC. Say for Bobo? Yeah, I mean, it, it could be that way. I mean, that, that's the thing. You build up a culture. And you get these guys in the culture that's good and productive, and, and that's what you do with guys. And, you know, they they were able to do that with a guy like Darian Kendrick during the 2021 season who had a lot of troubles at Clemson, and a lot of programs wouldn't touch him, and they brought him in, and he was fine. Like He, he went through his senior year at Georgia, no issues. Um, that doesn't mean they haven't had guys run into problems. Clearly they have. Uh, but not a huge amount, and I, I think the culture they've brought, they've instilled and have going here, um, and it's not even so much a Kirby Smart thing. It's some of the guys behind the scenes, like Jonas Jennings, Thomas Settles, Bryant Gant, um, names that a lot of people on the outside may not know, but who on the inside are a big part of just kind of forming a, a good culture at, within the program. And um, that that I'm talking about players now, but I think that, that goes – for coaches now too and of course a lot of it's because you're successful you know he went on the field and that makes people happy and makes them question things less Seth Emerson with the athletic um the question about quarterback development I want you to hear what he had to say as we asked him about you know the guys in the room now right uh, Vander Griffin company Mike Carson Beck how is he going to develop these guys that's really interesting because you, the no one wants to make a comparison to 2015, the year after Bobo left, um, and Brian Schottenheimer coming in. But uh, that was a situation where they needed to find a new quarterback also and had a new coordinator. Um, Brian Schottenheimer came in and didn't like the three quarterbacks he had in spring practice. And if you remember, they went and got Grayson Lambert, who ended up being the starter. Um this time, Bobo has been around for a year, so he's seen these three guys up close. But you s- still wonder, because people have said, and, and I, I believe this, that if Bobo had stayed, if he had not gone to Colorado State, that Bryce Ramsey would have been the starter that year. That doesn't guarantee that he would have been successful, just that he, he had recruited Bryce Ramsey. He liked him, would have been the guy they wouldn't have gone and gotten. Although, he tried to get Grayson Lambert to Colorado State, for what it's worth. Anyway, total history lesson that nobody really asked for. But same <laughs> but idea, yeah, same idea that 
you now have new thinking. A lot of people think that Carson Beck's going to be the starting quarterback based on he's been the number two, the clear number two last over the last year, and that Todd Munkin liked that kind of quarterback to run his system. He liked a strong-armed, more pocket-oriented guy. Is Bobo going to scramble that thinking? Is he a little bit more enamored of the dual threat ability of of um, of what Brock Vandegrift or even Gunnar Stockton who can run a little bit better than um, than Beck also, or is he a, a pocket guy as well? Um, or, but does he just think that one of the other guys might be better? Um, it's it, it's going to keep Carson Beck on his toes for sure. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we're wondering, you know, Carson Beck's been talked about, and just because of Kirby's penchant for guys who have been in the system, Carl, longest and have the experience, he's the only guy that has been on the field, to, to his point. But uh, it is interesting. If someone's feelings going to get hurt, and the fact that, you know, Munkin didn't really like recruiting, and you can say what you want about Bobo's you know, game management. He's a hell of a recruiter. He really is. Um, you know what's interesting? In, in Alabama, right, Nick Saban continues to add to his staff. He adds more experience, Mike. Ken Wisenhunt is going to join the Alabama staff. He uh, is a veteran veteran coach. Yeah, right? special assistant. That term's used a lot, right? When you want to mm-hmm. just add a guy to the staff and, you're, and you've got the money, oh, yeah, he's a special assistant. But that's what he's going to be to Nick Saban. Um, he appeared on the staff directory Wednesday night. He spent the last two seasons as an offensive analyst at Penn State, former Arizona Cardinals and Tennessee Titans head coach. Last was on the field, uh, on the field role was 2019. But this is what Saban does. And you talk about rehabilitation. What's going to happen with Ken Wisenhunt? Is he going to come back and be a coach here in two years and, and all of a sudden now be a head coaching candidate? So Ken's still not relatively young. He is. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just like, I think he's 60. Um, young enough. Yeah, six, <laughs> I think he's 60 years old. Yeah. But but the point is, you know, this is what Saban does. He brings guys in, and you go, wow, what's that guy going to do? And it seems like it always helps. Right, and that was the first soundbite we played here of uh, the interview with Seth from yesterday. Is I just felt that Kirby's now in a position where, again, I don't know how Bobo's rep is around the rest of the country, but he, he's certainly got to uh, maybe change up uh, in the minds or convince some Georgia fans that he's the guy for the job. You've got such a machine built. You know, you and I, we talked earlier about the 2007 you know, celebration, the end zone and the cocktail party, things and how this program has evolved, how much more consistent this program. This program now elevates at the level it's always Inspired to be, which is Alabama since Nick Saban got there. 404-741-0929. It's our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line. As we're talking college football, coming up, Chipper Jones is on the way as he stopped by the steakhouse today. Real quick, our buddy uh, Barrett Sali wrote a great piece about Hugh Freeze, Mike, navigating all the challenges at Auburn. Everybody's wondering what Auburn's going to be, and Hugh Freeze was talking about NIL. I just want to read this to you because I thought it was interesting. He talked about, you know, his family and where they are. Me and my family. He said, NIL, the battle has been difficult. He says, to me, NIL, it should be used for your locker room and for the ones who have created value for themselves, not the reason you choose a school. A lot of kids are choosing their schools solely based on NIL. Yeah, and I know that uh, the narrative has been, you know, like the kid uh, who uh, bailed out in Florida and wound up in Arizona State after a $13 million deal fell through. Yeah, I guess you're right. It should be the guys that are rewarded, and if you're coalition, your not whatever you're calling your group that's of uh, boosters that are putting this together. Yeah, those guys that have established it, they should be making more money, but there's still always going to be these big ticket items, Carl, in every recruiting class. But as you and I say, show me the money. Yeah. Really. Don't believe all those hype about some of these guys. Jaden Rashad is the kid you're talking yep. about. 
uh, that we spent time on. Miami, and, then Florida, then Arizona State. Yeah. I, I'm with you, Freeze, on this, but I don't think a lot of kids or, for that matter, programs are seeing it the same way he is. Coming up, Chipper Jones. What did he have to say about the Braves, where he's at, and what's going on with the organization? You'll hear it next on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Coming up, we got some guy talk on the way. Falcon Report. It's that time. We need to start taking a look at some of the players that potentially will be there in the draft. We'll tell you about a few, but before we get to all of that, uh, today Chipper Jones went on the Steakhouse, and the first thing Steak asked was about this pitch clock. Guys, everybody's curious how these pitchers are going to adjust, and this is what Chipper Jones said about the pitch clock. <laughs> uh, that's another it's another. I don't know where the pitch clock is going to be. Is it going to be? Is it going to be in center field? I would yeah. imagine it has to be in center field, yeah. um, so that the umpire can can the home plate umpire can keep a look on it at it. Uh, if if you're on base, the last thing you're looking at is a pitch clock in center field. But you do have a first base coach that is is right there that could, you know, count it down for you. And and yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this dynamic works, you know, yeah. I mean, there, there's some old school umpires still in the league. Are they going to enforce it? Or are they going to be like, yeah, this is stupid. Right. Let the game just kind of flow the way it, it normally does. Um, and then your new school guys who are by the book that are going to enforce it to the, to the nth degree. And and the other thing is, Chipper, they're not going to enforce, I'm going to allege, they're not going to enforce it with you, uh, you, a veteran. But the new guys coming up, right? It's kind of the who gets the benefit of the doubt with those calls. Well, that's just like anything else. There's a certain, I don't want to say hazing period that you have to go through as a young player um, with older umpires. Um, they want to see how you react when when you get a pitch that's, you know, it's a ball and it's called a strike. They want to see that reaction. They want to goad you a little bit just to see, you know, does he – does he take it with a grain of salt? Does he blow up? Does he, you know, is he a hothead? Da 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 da. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And MLB. You know, us, us guys. Yeah. M- us guys who have been around the league for a while, you know, we we get that benefit of the doubt because right. they've already put us through the ringers. Do you like the no uh, shift rule? Um, I don't. I don't mind it either way. I know there are a bunch of guys in the game today that absolutely love it. You know, I would have welcomed a, a shift in, in my day just because I got so many hits to the opposite field. Yeah. You know, I, I I I could inside out everything. Um, you know, at one point or another, and yeah, but uh, I think this too will speed up the game. How many times do we have to wait for Austin Riley to run to short right field? Great, great point. Uh, you know, all the way across yeah. the field just so we could get set up on defense. Right. So that's going to help speed things up as well. 24 minutes, the average last year in terms of how they sped up the minor leagues. That is a significant mm-hmm. um, savings in time and or moving the game around faster, I guess. I heard something the other day where somebody put a stopwatch on just the action in a baseball game. Just the action when when the yeah. when the pitch is thrown to the time and out or you know the guy gets the second whatever, and it was like it was like twenty some minutes of action. So there's there's quite a bit of of there's quite a bit of uh, downtime. downtime yeah, downtime. And, no, you I, can try and cut out. Yeah, no, I I think that. You know, I think every fan will will enjoy. Listen, I think ball players some nights. You tell me, but being out there three hours and forty five minutes on a Tuesday night in June, I mean, you know, I think for a ball player as well, just be more dialed in. 
no doubt, especially on getaway days when you got a yep a nice little three hour plane flight uh, waiting on you afterwards. It's uh, yeah, it, it'll be a welcome sight to get that get that thing below three hours and and hopefully even more. Chipper Jones is with us on the waitfor.com hotline. So you're back with the organization, like you say, the perfect job as hitting instructor where you can be home to hang with the little ones. You can be in the ballpark for four hours prior. Um, listen, it, I said it on the air. Chipper Jones could be a general manager. He could be a hitting coach. He could be a manager. He could be any of those jobs. But he doesn't want them. So is that accurate to say that this is exactly the gig that you want right now, given where your life is? Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, uh, obviously, I love having my foot in the door. I love having the affiliation with the Braves. I love um, working with the guys and and talking about hitting. Um, You know, this allows that I don't have to travel, even though I probably will travel uh, on a couple of trips this year. But, you know, I can can be in uniform from 2 o'clock to – seven o'clock and when those guys you know hit the hit the tunnel to go down to the dugout I'm done you know I can stay and watch the game or I can come home and and put the kids to bed and and watch the game on tv I'm really looking forward to kind of reconnecting with the the guys that were there a couple of years ago and uh, obviously um, you know creating a a good rapport with the new guys that uh, that I haven't yet you know, kind of gotten my hands on, you know, I, I got a chance to text with a few of them last year. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't allowed, you know, around the team due to the Vax mandate, but, um, um, you know, this year, since it's been lifted, uh, man, I can't wait to get to spring training. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun. Chipper, uh, t- guys have told me you're such a good teacher. Like you're just, you explain things so easy. So I'm just wondering where does that, where did you learn that? I know you're going to say your dad, but kind of who else through the years you really <laughs> listened to? Well, you've got, you know, I, I got a, a 30 year public school math teacher in the family, obviously baseball coach, football coach, basketball coach. So you know, sitting and watching him and listening to him through the years was, you know, a huge benefit for me. But also, I think going through a, a just a plethora of, of hitting coaches throughout the course of my career, he got some good ones and he got some bad ones. It doesn't make them bad people. It doesn't make them bad coaches. It's just that they don't really know how to get their point across. You know, they, they, they dumb it down, you know, so that, so that everybody can do it. But sometimes there's some, some little intricacies and you have to be able to show these guys because most of them are visual learners. And the fact that, you know, I stood 60 feet, six inches away from a lot of guys through the years and went through the same things that they're going through, both good and bad, um, being able to help them mentally uh, as a, you know, and physically and mechanically, all those kind of things. It's just been ingrained. So many, so many things that I've learned, both from from good communicators and bad communicators through the year. Through Chipper, the years. Chipper Jones with us on the waitfor.com hotline. Uh, I hear you when you do games, and I hear that also with great color guys of understanding the uh, the game being played between a pitcher and a hitter, and what to anticipate given the given the count, given the uh, time of the game. How much of those conversations can you help guys? I would think some of it's innate, but like, hey, here's what you're going to look for with a 2-1 count and a guy that's got a 97-mile-an-hour fastball and yada, yada. Um, is that a big part of what you're trying to teach these guys how to approach at-bats? 
100%. The, the physical part, these guys have pretty much got down. The mental part is, is the tough part. Just to give you an idea of how I used to prepare for a game every single day. Like, I would go to bed thinking about who I was facing. I would dream about him, uh, you know, who I was facing the next day. But when I got to the ballpark, I went in and I watched his last three starts. Why do I do that? I want to know where his head's at. You know, I want to know, is he 3-0? and I want to know if he's 0-3. I want to know if he's 0-0 with three tough luck, no decisions. I want to – and then I'll watch the last 10 at-bats that I've had off him. Or, you know, if I've only had five or six, I'll watch those. Um, I want to know what he was successful against me with. I want to know what I was successful against him with. And all this goes into a game plan for a given night. If he's got a good change-up going right now, I'll be sitting on that thing, you know, when the rubber meets the road. If he doesn't have a feel for the changeup, I may go for his, you know, for I may be sitting on something else. But it's it's that kind of mental preparation every single day that that might have given me an advantage over most guys on a on a given night. Rusty Manziel was with us yesterday. He's the number one recruiting guy probably in the country. He talked about your high school football career. He was super familiar with it. And it's it's not unlike knowing tendencies of, of play callers, especially if you watch years. It's like we know what this guy likes to do when he's inside the five and he's got a, you know, a third down and he ran that play four years ago. It's kind of similar, and it also is a chance for you to mention your football career, which was pretty good as well. <laughs> well yeah, we um, I, I did have an opportunity to 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 go to college and play football, but I think we all knew where my bread was buttered and yeah. I didn't really enjoy working at the game of football the way I did baseball. Uh, but I appreciate Rusty for saying that. Um, yeah, it's, it's like anything else. The, the, the longer you stick around in this game, the easier it becomes because you don't need scouting reports from coaches. You just go back and, and, you know, look at your at bats, you face guys, you know, I mean, uh, facing a Jacob DeGrom or a Scherzer or somebody within the division, Nola or Wheeler, you know, you're going to face them 15, 16 times during the course of the year, you know. So the more familiar you get with them, the, the more the pendulum swings towards the hitter because if you're able to make an adjustment, the hits are going to come to you. You know, the early on, the pitcher has the advantage, but the more and more you see him, the, it, it, it swings to the hitter. 60 seconds left, finishing up with Chipper Jones. You're headed to spring training. I guess you're not unlike a fan in a lot of ways also. What are the two or three stories that you're most anxious to see front and center while you're down there? Uh, I think the biggest or biggest key for me is uh, do, do we see Mike Soroka get back to being Mike Soroka? Um, he, he hasn't pitched in uh, almost three years. You know, that's a, that's a long time to be out. And you know what? No matter what he does in spring training, it may not matter. He may need to go to AAA and get some innings in before um, getting a call up. But if, if this guy throws meaningful innings for us um, during the course of the late regular season and postseason, it's going to be a tremendous feather in our cap. Uh, obviously, we need – uh, Ronald Acuna to get back to being Ronald Acuna. Um, you know, the Vaughn Grissom question uh, is is lingering. Obviously, he's replacing a, a, a very good player in Dansby Swanson, but as long as uh, Ron Washington has his mitts on uh, on Vaughn Grissom, I'll, 
uh, I like I like his chances to to be successful. And then, obviously, uh, what happens left field slash DH? You know, does Marcel Zuna kind of bounce back and be the Marcel we all hope he can be? Does uh, uh, Rosario's eyesight good? You know, all the, all these things are, are questions that are going to be ironed out here pretty soon. And if we get a lot of positives through those four keys, um, I like a successful season for the Braves. That is the voice of Chipper Jones earlier today with Steak. I think he's right. There are a lot of questions, but there are a lot of things to be positive about. Mike, what do we got coming up in Guy Talk? Hey, man, girls gone wild on international flights, including Delta. What would you do if you're the male passenger next? It's time for fun. <laughs> it's time for guy talk. <laughs> it's time for shenanigans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah man, on a Thursday on Dukes and Bell, brought to you by Dukes and Bell. Hey, man, Al, the Blonde Ale. And don't forget our watermelon lime available where you get your fine brews. Uh, maybe a Publix. Tell your Publix guy, hey, man, get our beer. And they'll get it for you. Just got to ask him. Hey, uh, real quick, we're watching Tiger Woods, and he looks good. One under so far at the uh, Genesis Invitational out there at Riviera. Uh, it's uh, Max Homa. Uh, the Cal golfer's got six wins on tour. He's leading right now, Carl, at seven under. That was his round, shot at 64. But real quick, Tiger looking good with his short game so far. Yeah, the put the putter's working. Listen, Tiger was great when he, at his best ever. He was just the best putter on tour. He he would score when you it seemed impossible. And today, uh, his lag putts uh, they look amazing. So the, the deal is, Mike, you know, in some of these spots where he's hitting the ball. You don't want to be on uneven ground, a bad lie, and all of a sudden now you're trying to, to do that with a bad knee. And that's those are the things that are going to hurt him, and he's got to try to overcome. But I like what I'm seeing so far. There's no doubt. Hey, man, before we get to the stories about girls gone wild yes, please. in the uh, friendly skies, uh, i got to give an apology to Squid Billy. Look, Chris, mark this on the calendar because it doesn't happen very often. I'm sorry, yes, what did you just say? Do. But earlier in the week, we were talking about the uh, Bradbury penalty on Juju Smith-Schuster, and how you and I were talking about how it kind of ruined the aesthetic of a potentially did. amazing finish of the Super Bowl. Perhaps you know Kansas City hits a field goal or a touchdown, then the Eagles might drive for a touchdown or whatever, and we could have gotten one of those classic finishes instead of we're talking about the reps. Well. NFL Films has got uh, their video out because NFL Films has like 35 gazillion cameras all over the uh, stadium in Arizona. And now there's another angle. And, Carl, you had a chance to look at it during the commercial yeah. break. I tweeted it at Mike Belly to yell. There's two parts to the hold. And how the calls get made in the NFL is you'd usually do one thing that draws attention to yourself. And then if you do something else, the ref throws a flag. In this case, he's got the jersey. NFL Films has got an angle off the field. And you can clearly see the jersey being held, which then gets gets the ref's attention, which then sees the more obvious hold around the back and the arms. Well, remember, Bradbury owned this, right? He said, I did it. I did this. But I was hoping they wouldn't call it. That's every player in the league. Right. I'm going to do this. I'm going to hold Grady Jarrett, and I'm hoping they don't call it. I just felt like, and, and the replay is blatantly obvious. Right. And when you see, Mike tweeted out, when you get a chance to see this, if you haven't seen it already, but, you know, I, I, it would be different for me, Mike, if the player – didn't own this. If he was like, I don't know what y'all talking about, man. I, mm. I I was covering him, and they, that's a bad call. But he owned it, and then I thought his answer was brilliant. But I'm hoping you don't call it. That's the NFL because we can make this call every single game, every single time somebody makes a cut or somebody's open or one of our guys gets held. How many times the Falcon fans have we seen this where right. our guy, same thing happens, and our guy doesn't? They don't call it. So 
I, the replay is blatantly obvious, and so that's why you're apologizing to Squid. So again, Bo, because Bo did this whole diatribe about how I'm one of these people that feels he's above the law, <laughs> and that uh, you know the rules don't apply. <laughs> and I, and granted, I, you know, if you listen to the show over the years with Carl and I, and Carl's seen it in action, I've got a major problem with authority figures. This is true, you know, from TSA to anybody else. But anyway, I digress. So yes, the refs in this case, you it was it was egregious, and now you see how the ref was drawn to the play to the player and why the flag was thrown. So Spencerly. And hot, you got it right, and yeah. I was wrong. Yeah, thank, thank you. I, 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 I really do appreciate that. Seriously, thank you. Well, your whole push was you gotta call it no matter what right. the game is. That was Bo's thing. Like, it was the first game of the season, right. or it's the Super Bowl, it's a foul, you've gotta call it. And that, yeah. that was his whole push. And I took the argument like I often do, and I moved it over here and said, well, the NFL screws so many things up, but there's no consistency. But on this one specific play, now you see the genesis of how the flag was thrown because he did something which got the ref going, what? Uh-uh, looking yeah. over there, and then he did it again. So there you go. And all ultimately, right. that's all we want. We all want the right. same thing, consistency. That's right. You know what I want? Russian women taking their shirts off next what? to fly the friendly skies. Now, this happened over in Russia. We're uh, on Aeroflot, by the way. Have you ever, fly, ever uh, flown Aeroflot? I've never flown that. No, thank you. Flew it once. I can say that. I, I've been flown Aeroflot. All right. Was it like spirit? Um, well, no, but the flight attendants were under the age of 50. Oh, it was okay. kind of exciting in all that right. sense. But uh, no, flew from, uh, from uh, Prague to Paris. Well, oh, Aeroflot. okay. So it wasn't cool. a puddle jumper then? No, it was, it was, it was that version of 737. Okay. I don't know what it was, but it was okay. It was Ruski, you know, probably an Airbus or something. Anyway, uh, there's a viral video that's out there. A Russian woman uh, has joined the ever-growing passenger hall of shame, undressing on her flight. Angelica Motskovina, 49, locked herself in the lavatory on a flight from some town I can't pronounce to Moscow uh, last week, and then apparently came out of the bathroom with her shirt off. Letting those puppies hang out. Eventually, a flight attendant said, please, put a shirt on, man. There's kids here. She goes, I, I respect children. What's more, I love children. I understand I go to mental hospital or prison, but I want to go to cockpit. What? She yes. wanted to go to the cockpit? She's banging on the door trying to get there with a pilot's driver with a shirt off. Needless to say, she'd be a little bit overserved. Okay. They're so they're out. Correct. They're flopping yes, around. And they're trying to cover I'm up. I'm guessing. And, and then she bites a flight attendant. <laughs> oh, stop it. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, she, now you're going to get a rabies test. Oh, wait, yeah. were they flopping or were they no, standing they were, up? No, she's actually firm. They were, they okay. were definitely. Uh, it was, she, uh, that's important. Because the photo of her, when she's not in a deranged state, because obviously there's a picture of her hair's all wacky and she's trying to get pull the exit door, which is a little scary at 30,000 feet. But the normal photo that somebody got their hands of her in Moscow, uh, and she's a very attractive older woman. Okay. But uh, again, at this state, looking slightly deranged. Um, here's what Aeroflot said due to the passage's destructive behavior aircraft commander decided to use means to restrain her. So uh, probably off to the gulag. I guess, you know, here you probably get a slap on her wrist and a $1,000 fine. They, they, they probably, they, they don't see you again. What did she want in the cockpit? No, I, I don't know. Access to the pilots? <laughs> to show the pilots what she was all about? I'm just asking, why are you I trying to get in the cockpit? I don't know. What's your she, shirt off? Because she's drunk. 69, I <laughs> But it's great. I don't speak Russian, but in the back of you, ladies, sit down, put your shirt on, you good people. You know, because like whether you're in Russia or whether it's like my flight or your flight, Carl, the last thing you want, and you say this to me, and I say this to you all the time, we look around and who's the idiot who's going to cause the problem that makes us land at Amarillo on the flight to Vegas? Man, nobody. The length of it. Nobody better screw this up. I, I'm on a clock. I got to right. get to where I'm going. Yeah, man. Right. But, but I'm just I'm, I'm a little bit perplexed about mm. you know the shirt off and trying to get in the cockpit. I mean, I just want to know what she was going to do. <laughs> well, I guess she has a thing for men with epaulets. I don't know. <laughs> she was pretty tuned up. They, they they put the wrist ties on her and eventually they got her uh, with no shirt on. Home run egg. 
Well, they, they put a blank. Uh, they put a blanket. Oh, over okay. It. Yeah. I was going to say, wow, these guys are ruthless. But that's that's over in Russia. Meanwhile, here's a Delta flight. This is from Athens to uh, New York. Listen to this and put yourself in the in the shoes of the male passenger guys. And tell me how you would handle this situation. A visibly intoxicated passenger. I do it! Apparently starts hitting on a man <laughs> sitting on this flight, commenting on his, quote, big muscles. She massaged his neck, caressed his inner thigh. Come and on. asked if she could lay on top of me in a non-sexual way, according to the court papers that were followed, filed by the male victim who is suing Delta because he said his help, his pleas were ignored by the flight attendants, that Come this on, woman bro. was being... Just unruly and all over him. Come on, bro. Probably still pretty wet. I mean, really? These guys. I was. She infringed my space. It was flight 203 from Athens to Kennedy, and the guy suing, as I said, Delta for over for uh, allegedly over serving her and then failing to take his complaint seriously. He says he was ignored because he is a male. The victim charged in Brooklyn federal court because the plane landed in JFK. Unidentified woman turned her attention out of seat made a few hours into the August 1st flight. So this happened last summer after binging on white wine and telling a friend she downed a Xanax, <laughs> according to the New York Post. <laughs> Those two things don't go together. Uh, According to the lawyer for the uh, alleged victim here, uh, she reeked of alcohol, smelled worse than walking into a bar. Flight attendant apologized for behavior, said uh, he couldn't do anything about it, according to the court papers. The, and here's where it gets weird. They don't hogtie the drunk lady, the victim, the dude who's just trying to enjoy his flight, watching whatever he's watching while this woman's all over him. They made him sit in, like, the jump seat that the flight attendant sat in. Why? I, I guess they didn't want to mess with the, the, the drunk, belligerent woman oh. who's trying to grab a piece of this guy. Yeah, she. well, obviously yeah. she knew what she wanted. I just, yeah. I mean, I mean okay. how ugly would this woman have to be for you to say no in okay. a situation? Well, out of throw see, that'd be a 12-hour, 13-hour flight. So I'm trying to understand this. So she's being aggressive. He's saying to the attendants, hey, she's being aggressive, mm-hmm. and I don't like her aggressiveness. Right. They don't do anything, and she continues to do these acts. And, and touch him in places where right. he doesn't want to be touched. It's an 11-hour flight, by the way. That's a long time. Yeah. That he was, his space was infringed but, but again, upon. And it's dark, it's at night, you had a woman kind of being, literally, would you? What are you talking about, would I? I think some guys out there would say, hey, flight, flight attendant, can I get a blanket? <laughs> anyway, we'll see where this goes with Delta. Why are you saying what you would do? I just, again, that's old Mike, not new Mike. New Mike would say, yes, I'd hit that call button. Please get this woman away from me who's rubbing my inner thigh. You're so full of it. You are so full there of she, it. Excuse me, flight attendant, I've got a problem. This woman is physically, uh, she's assaulting me. Let me tell you what you would have did. Two more cocktails, yes. please. But, okay. What if she looks like Marge Shot? It's dark. It's an right, 11-hour flight. There's your guy talk. All right, coming still up. still pretty wet. Please, we're, we're please. Gonna, we're going to talk about... DBs and OTs next on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.